Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday the 31st of August and I'm joined by Annika Smithhurst. Good morning, Annika. Morning, Tom. Look, it's great to be back, by the way. Thanks for asking about my holiday. <laughs> Didn't even notice you were gone. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, in case you're wondering, I had a week off. It was wonderful. While the rest of the country was chasing the start of summer, I was chasing the end of winter out the back of Kosciuszko National Park. And it was great. All right, today on the show, um, still not interested, are you, Annika? <laughs> not at all. All right, today we're going to speak to Kevin Rudd and actually ask him for some advice for our leaders who are steering us through the pandemic. People uh, have a 100% sharp radar about this stuff. They know if you're bullshitting. That's from Kevin Rudd. More from him in just a moment. The Prime Minister who took us through the global financial crisis knows a fair bit about handling stress or has certainly dealt with a lot of it himself. Should be a fascinating interview. Stick around for that. First, Annika, let's get into the big stories of the day. It seems that most Aussies back border closures to stop the spread of COVID. The Prime Minister's been urging state and territory leaders to ditch them for months now. Here's what he said on Friday. You're going to live with domestic borders until there's a vaccine is a recipe for economic ruin. That is not the plan. The plan is to ensure testing, tracing, outbreak containment, strong quarantine, COVID safe behaviours in the workplace, in the home, at the footy club. Scott Morrison there, clearly not happy about the border closures between our states. But a new poll out today has found that 80% of Australians support the decision to limit interstate travel. At the same time, support for Prime Minister Scott Morrison has dropped for the first time since the pandemic started, down four points to 64% in today's news poll. His disapproval rating is up with 32% of Australians not happy with the job he's doing. Yeah, and two-party preferred polling is 2% off for the coalition. They're now 50-50 with Labor. Annika, what do you think's behind this bad polling result for Scott Morrison and the Coalition? Look, I actually don't think it's that bad for them. It might be down, but it's still his approval is still quite high compared to Prime Ministers have had in the past. So I don't think he's going to be too disappointed with it. But if we're trying to find out what it's about, it really is probably to do with aged care. That's the first hit I guess the opposition has had on the federal government for a while. They run aged care homes. There's been a lot of disasters in them, and I think they're feeling a bit of pain over that. And do you think Labor's done well to, to hone in on that? Because they've they've struggled to find anything to really nail the government on so far during the pandemic. Oppositions across Australia, no matter what their stripes, are really struggling at the moment because in times like this, we do rally around our leaders. But I think this is the first time we've really seen... Uh, an issue Labor can get into. So a win there for the opposition. They won't be disappointed with that, but I think it's a long way to go from the election and I don't think the government's going to be too worried about those poll numbers just yet. And Queensland's top doctor is urging people to wear masks. If you can't socially distance when you go to the shopping centre, use a mask. If you're in a taxi or a rideshare or in public transport, that's the time to wear a mask. That was Chief Health Officer Dr Jeanette Young. She says there will be more cases linked to that cluster at a corrective services training academy southwest of Brisbane. And on the weekend, schoolies was cancelled because of the coronavirus risk. The number of people allowed uh, in a home will be capped at 10 for the Gold Coast. Good luck keeping those numbers down. Uh, from today, that's being expanded to the Darling Downs area as well. Speaking of restrictions, in Melbourne, there was a pretty dramatic anti-lockdown protest last night. Resistance! Resistance! Don't be afraid to speak up, please! Give that an you f***ing dog! You 
Oh, hectic situation there. That group's accused of lighting flares, blocking traffic and throwing rocks at police. Uh, in the end, there were three arrests, three men aged 17, 18 and 22. And for once, let's end on some good news out of the pandemic. Australia's carbon emissions are now at the lowest they've been since 1998. Our emissions fell by 8% in the June quarter compared to the same period last year. Fewer planes in the sky and fewer cars on the roads are behind the drop in emissions. Uh, And this is all according to the National Greenhouse Gas Report that will be released later today. Sadly, some scientists fear it won't be enough. We may need to repeat this year's fall in global emissions every year for the next 30 years to meet targets set in the Paris Agreement signed in 2016. That's according to some scientific experts. And on a political level, what do you think this drop in emissions will do for the debate around climate change and the action that we are or aren't taking? If you go back to the start of the year, it was really at the front of everybody's mind coming off the bushfires. I guess coming out of the pandemic, it's going to be hard to get the same level of, I guess, community outrage about some of our policies around this. It hasn't gone away completely, but we've dropped off from where it was at the front of everybody's mind. And I think for the government, they might be happy about that because they were getting a lot of heat at the start of the year. Yeah. And the other question will be how we move forward after the pandemic and whether so much of the focus will be on economic recovery, uh, that making any kind of sacrifice for the environment that requires another economic cost will be really hard to argue. Yeah, sadly, I think that is true. Look, the only, I guess, positive out of it is we might change the way we live. I I think it'll be a long time before we go back to, I guess, um, the freedom with which we moved around the globe, um, travel, and and it's going to take years to sort of recover to that level. So we might have a little bit of a lag in that area. All right, Annika, we'll catch you tomorrow. Jan and Jamila are about to jump in and speak to Kevin Rudd. We're now six months into the deadly coronavirus pandemic, and if you're starting to feel fatigued, maybe spare a thought for our leaders. Yeah, look, we don't usually tend to spare many thoughts for our politicians, and fair enough, they're paid well, they signed up for the job, and they should just get it done without complaint, frankly. But, and I hate to use this word, unprecedented, these are unprecedented times, which means an unprecedented number of press conferences. In Victoria, the only Aussie state to have seen a devastating second wave, Premier Dan Andrews is about to front his 60th daily press conference in a row. There is a general acceptance in the community that lockdown two is much, much harder and we need to cut ourselves a break. So, should our leaders be doing the same? You've stood up here for close to 50 days straight uh, without taking a day. Thanks for reminding me of that, Rachel. <laughs> this is not about me. I'll, I'll be really clear with you. I won't ask people to work harder than I do. Yeah, whatever you think of their politics, our state and territory leaders, as well as the Prime Minister, have been working day in and day out during what is a, frankly, difficult and terrifying period in history. So what's it like being the person at the top in times of crisis? Is there a breaking point? How do you sleep? Yeah, do you sleep at all? And someone who has the answers to all those questions is the person who led Australia through the global financial crisis, the Black Saturday bushfires, and even the threat of swine flu, former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd. Yeah, and Kevin Rudd joins us now. Kevin, thanks so much for being with us. What do you reckon? Should our leaders be taking a break? 
You know, one of the hardest things about being in leadership uh, is uh, finding enough time to think. Um, and to have time to think, you can't just be acting all the time. So uh, whether you actually formally have time off or carve out a couple hours a day just to frankly go into a hidey hole and read and think um, and write a bit, uh, then you're not doing yourself uh, the best service. That's my experience anyway. How about Dan Andrews in Victoria? The guy is fronting up to a press conference every single day, standing behind a podium to field all those questions. Does the guy need a break? Look, I think Dan's calculation would be he's got a duty to do it because he's the leader of the government down there. And you know something? If he didn't, um, everyone would rip into him as if he was off on a holiday. The key thing is not just fronting each day. What's What happens behind the scenes, um, that is, the time he spends getting across his brief, the time he gets to think, what I was talking about before, mm. and reflect, and then the time to make decisions. So my um, uh, advice to someone like Dan would be, yep, keep doing what you're doing, mate. I think you're doing fine. But make sure you carve out an hour or two a day to be on your Pat Malone and spend a bit of time just thinking and reading and putting on some decent music. Yeah. What, do you have any music recommendations? No, look, that's a very individual uh, <laughs> set of tastes. And, and I'm such a music nerd uh, that uh, all of your listeners would fall about laughing if they knew the sort of stuff that I listen okay, to. Okay, so sorry. Let's not go there. No, you've got to tell us now. You're the one that started this. You've got to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just bad. It's a reflection of the generation I grew up in and the nerdy tastes I have. I would go from anywhere from... Um, uh, Neil Diamond to Vivaldi's Coral Works. So there you go. All right, that's it. Oh, Kevin, that is bad. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was bad. You extracted the confession from me, but I was honest in my response. There you go. <laughs> you were. Now, during your time as PM, we had some really big events happen. We saw the 2008 GFC. Um, we had the Black Saturday bushfires in Victoria, uh, which killed more than 170 people. There was a swine flu pandemic as well. Can you? Sort of paint us a picture of what your day-to-day looked like during these events, from the time that you woke up, and, and what time did you wake up? The thing about the global financial crisis was that it was global, a bit like this pandemic, and what happens overseas affects what happened here. So here's the problem with global stuff, is that it's 24-7, and that is what happens overnight, in my case, in financial markets in London and in Tokyo and in New York. Uh, these things um, would directly catapult their way into what you were doing in Australia the next morning. So first principle is make sure you've got some staff who you trust to put together a factual briefing on what the hell has just happened. The second thing is in dealing with a crisis, again, have a small number of staff who you trust, who know their shit, there you go, um, to um, put together... Uh, options for you, not to tell you what to do, but to put together options for you. And then three, sit down with your trusted colleagues uh, in the cabinet and work through those options because there's no magic in this. We're all human beings and we're all going to have imperfect information, but the best you can do is, um, as I said, be prepared on the information, know what your options are and then bounce your ideas off your closest cabinet colleagues. Kevin, I'm interested in how you take care of yourself during one of those enormous and devastating events like the Black Saturday bushfires where afterwards you were meeting 
victims' families. You were meeting people who'd lost their homes. How do you keep yourself mentally and emotionally fit during those periods? I mean, are you exercising, drinking lots of water, meditating? It's a really good question. You know, it's, it's become a sport in Australia to rip the carotid artery out of most political leaders, whether they're Labor or, or Liberal, um, because we think that's the right thing to do. Guess what? They're all human beings. Uh, most of them, not all of them, uh, are genuinely well-intentioned, uh, trying to get the right thing done for their communities. So I suppose I start my answer by saying, have a bit of compassion for them. Uh, that is, the people you've elected to those leadership positions, because they're just humans. And they've got to get some sleep um, and they've got to try and make the right judgments. I would tend to um, pray and meditate um, simply to get my own um, headspace in order, understand that we're a small part of the cosmos mm. um, and that um, whatever decisions we make are important. But frankly, there are a whole bunch of other decisions which are more important. Spend time with uh, those you really love and care for in your own family. In my case, my wife and three kids. Your final point, and it's often underestimated in political life, you've got a responsibility with the community when they're hurting to nurture the community as well. Um, I remember one day in the middle of the bushfires in Victoria where I'd just been out and saw what a hellhole it was. This was, I think, day one or day two. And uh, Kyle Stefanovic, God bless him, um, was interviewing me on some morning television program. And then he hit me with the question that I wasn't expecting, which is, how do you feel? And you're churned up inside. You're really, when you see a little boy, as I did in the fires, who just lost his father, mm. and you've held that kid in your arms, and you get asked by some well-meaning journalist a few hours later, how do you feel? That's really tough. Um, uh, you, you can either blub, which I genuinely prefer not to do, though all of us do it from time to time, or you just... Um, grind down on both sets of jaws and wait and deep breathe deeply before you ask for the next question. Mm. How did you feel in that moment? Uh, look, I, um, I find it impossible not to feel the pain of others. And when you walk through uh, literally the valley of the shadow of death, which was uh, what it was like um, with the Victorian bushfires and community after community where people were just reeling because of uh, the horror that they had been through and seen and uh, those who they'd lost. Your stomach is churned. You cannot help but feel that you could well have been in their place and to some extent at that very point that you're with that person, you are, you are in that emotional place with them. People have, um, um, have 100% sharp radar about this stuff. They know if you're bullshitting. You're either for real in feeling and experiencing what that feeling and on top of that, reaching into your pocket, taking out your notebook and putting down their name and number. So some of those folks who um, lost their um, their family um, in the Victorian bushfires, uh, 10, 11 years later, I'm still in contact with. Kevin, that's really lovely and genuinely heartwarming to listen to. I wonder... Given your experience with the Black Saturday bushfires, how you felt when earlier this year Scott Morrison went on holiday to Hawaii during the bushfires in all of the eastern states of Australia? And then in July, uh, you would have seen he was criticised in the press for going to the footy as the virus threatened to spiral out of control in Victoria. How do you 
make that call as a leader when to take a break and when you just have to stay on the job, even if you really do need some rest? Yeah, look, I I really don't intend to, you know, sink the boot into um, uh, Morrison over you know, his decisions at the time. There's a reason for that. I don't know what else he had on, frankly, or what else was coursing through his mind at the time. Um, the reaction, as you know, was uh, was not good. How do you make that judgment? The key principle, I think, is um, what I'd kind of describe as the Sunday newspaper test. Uh, if you're not prepared to have what you're doing plastered all over the front page of the newspapers on Sunday, uh, guess what? Don't do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? The reasonable person test is, yeah, everyone deserves a break, but guess what? In political life where expectations are infinite and your resources are finite, uh, what you are expected to do is often unreasonable. Uh, that's going back to Dan Andrews. That's why I think he's making the right call by fronting every day. It's gritty. It's gutsy. It's unpleasant. He's got to answer questions where people around him or underneath him have screwed up. That's that's kind of life in, in politics. But mm. people ultimately will respect you for fronting up and being there. My only advice to Dan is just, as I said, take some private time out each day just to, as I said, chill out, listen to some decent music, reflect, and most importantly, think about um, what needs to be done next. I mean, you're no stranger to the cover of uh, Sunday Papers during your leadership. Um, Mm. I wonder, sort of just reflecting back, what do you think in that time has was been the most detrimental to your mental health as PM? Well, look, I'm a pretty robust person and um, and came through all of that fine. Um, but I think there are two reasons for that. One I've touched on. Um, I mean, I'm a person of modest Christian faith. And secondly, um, I'm surrounded by a very loving family. So you reckon they're the two sort of key pillars that have uh, kept your mental health strong? To be honest, uh, yes, because um, a lot of the other stuff just comes and goes. By the way, that's now cat meowing in the background. I'm sorry. Oh, that's your cat. Kevin Rudd's yeah. cat. <laughs> that's right. Well, we've got two, actually. And uh, this is Ella. And um, G'day, Ella. <laughs> G'day, and, Ella. Uh, and her brother's name is Louis, Ella Fitzgerald and Louis Armstrong. Ah. And, uh, we're going to need to ask Ella and Louis to record a promo. Like, they need to do an ad for the briefing after this. <laughs> they could. Uh, if we keep going this way, she'll purr very loudly because she's currently groveling for food in her tummy. Hey, be quiet. The, um, I'm just going to assume you're talking to your cats there, Kevin, <laughs> not, a, not us. <laughs> Here we go. Shh, just be quiet. The best thing you can do is... Um, is work out what do I believe in, why do I believe that, what values do I hold to be fundamental, and what do I want to do with my life? And it's because, guess what, in all of your lives, you're going to run into times in life where it just works out really badly. You're going to run into one of what I describe as the great brick walls of life. At that point, you get thrown back onto your absolute moral fundamentals. Um, That is, what do I believe in and who is closest and dearest to me? That's got to be your anchor at times like that. And the same applies for people in political life. Unless you've done that, um, that deep digging into your deepest beliefs, the basis for those beliefs and the values to which they give rise, then it's a bit late 20 or 30 years later to say, oh, my God, what do I really believe in? That was former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd talking about leadership in times of crisis. And look, it seems hard. 
I will say. It does, Jan. And for those of us in Victoria, I think we all know what's needed now. We've done this before. We're doing it again. And to our leaders, they need to do the same as us. Find a little hidey hole, play some soothing music, mm-hmm. you know, maybe get some vitamin D from time to time and get some of that all-important thinking space. Kevin Rudd talked about it because yep. we are in this for the long haul. Yeah. Marathon, not a sprint. And tomorrow on The Briefing, a fascinating interview with Tyler Harrison Hunt. He was supposed to be praying at the Christchurch Mosque on the day of the massacre. We'll hear his story and touch on survivor's guilt in a fascinating episode tomorrow of The Briefing. A Podcast One production.